Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Next letter, page 175. After one has acquired right beliefs and subjected oneself to the rules of the Sharia, one should, if Allah wills, enter the path of Tasawwuf. What does this mean? At the time of Imam Ta'ala, Tasawwuf was in some sense different from what it is today. Today Tasawwuf serves a bit of a different function. If you will, Tasawwuf has an additional function today. In his time, Tasawwuf was actually viewed as something that people who already were strong in their Iman, had the proper Aqaid and Iman, and were already observing the Fanais and Wajibat, already subjected oneself to rules of Sharia, and they wanted more, they would be involved in the Tasawwuf. And for them, they felt that love for Ghairullah simply meant love for their fame or their popularity, such as Imam al-Ghazayr when he left. Right? And those of you who were there for that earlier course may remember that when he left his teaching, it wasn't because he was doing any sin. He wasn't engaged in anything that was haram. He had not failed to do anything that was far as rabajib, but because he wanted to get something even greater. And he felt embarrassed that he wasn't able to do that. That's why he left and he joined the path of the Sawaf and then later returned to teaching and that's a whole separate discussion. However, in this day and age, it has actually been felt by the Mashaq of Tasawwuf, I would say for the past hundred or two hundred years, that the same method of Tasawwuf, which is love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, taking out love for the world, putting in love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that enables a person who may already be staying away from sin and doing the farz and wajib to reach a high level of closeness to Allah, that same love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually helps people who are sinners who have not yet subjected themselves to the rules of Sharia, who are still engaged in lust and in greed and in envy, who are still not regular and consistent in their faraiz and wajibat, and they want to make that journey, that's a separate journey, that's an earlier journey, right? To leave all the haram and all the prohibitively disliked things, to start doing all of the faraiz and the wajibat, right? They have found that the soul is actually extremely helpful in that also. You know, last week, some of you may have heard, I gave a talk on that online on Thursday. And that was my own experience after being in Tasawwuf for 17 years now, alhamdulillah, is that the most people have fallen into sins that can only be cured by love for Allah. And because most people have fallen into those type of sins, that's why Tasawwuf in this day and age is not only after one is subjected oneself to the rules of Sharia, but actually to enable a person to subject themselves to the rules of Sharia, they are encouraged to partake in the soul. Alright? What Imam al-Rabani meant here wasn't tazkiyah, in other words, wasn't simply purification from sin. Obviously that starts at the outset. What he meant is that higher pursuits of the soba, longer dhikr, longer namafil, more ibadat, right? Really not living in abject poverty, but really frugal living. When should a person do that? He's saying that a person should do when they've already subjected oneself to the rules of the Sharia. When they're firmly established in the Faraz and Wajibat. And even then by saying, Insha'Allah, if Allah wills, he's making clear that it's still nothing. That level of tasawwuf, the first level is farz, the tazkiyah part that I told you. Getting that love for Allah that will help you stay away from sin. Getting that love for Allah that will make you consistent in salah. That is far, that's not optional. This extra higher level, that is actually optional, that is nafa. And that higher level a person shouldn't do unless they're already following the faraiz and majibat. Alright? And they already have the proper 
aqidah and iman. But when a person does so, but one should not pursue it in order to get something over and above the beliefs and practices of Sharia. There's nothing extra you're going to get. That okay, why is he saying that? Because he first said that the person is already on Sharia, right? Has subjected oneself to the rules of Sharia. So the question may have come that okay, if a person is on the rules of Sharia, then why would they need to sawaf? Why would you need it? So you needed to get those feelings again, what we did before to know in detail what you already know in brief. To feel good of nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That they are the ones who have been drawn near to Allah. Okay? Or that Hadith Qudsi I mentioned to you that Allah says, My servant comes even near to me. First comes near to me by doing faraiz, and then comes even near to me by wings of the nawafil. So when a person wants that, wants the qurb of Allah, wants the mayyat of Allah, wants the love from Allah subhanahu wa they would go into this. But that also is not something new. That's part of deen. That's in that same hidayah, same guidance of Quran and Sunnah. Okay. The purpose of following the path of tasawwuf, and I, that's, you can see I always prefer that as opposed to the quote-unquote Sufi way. Following the path of tasawwuf is to gain a yaqeen. To gain a yaqeen in the objects of faith that cannot be weakened by the doubts of a skeptic or shaken by the remarks of an objector. So what does it mean? Okay, have iman in Allah. Okay, done. Fars is done. Now I want so much yaqeen in Allah that if you locked me up with a hundred thousand atheists for a hundred thousand years, I would never even have one doubt. Compare that to our young men and women who study in universities that have doubts. I can prove, I have, I have score, scores of hundreds of emails, thousands probably over the years, to prove it. It doesn't mean they're not, they're not into kufr. They stayed on the fars of iman. They believe in Allah SWT. But do they have doubts? Do they have, are they skeptical about a particular verse, about a particular hadith? Definitely they have it. So now if you look in that sense, it's another reason why Tasawwuf in this day and age is needed especially amongst university graduates and further educated people because they have exposed themselves to secular, liberal, atheist epistemologies which have disguised themselves as humanism and then a person gets confused. So what is one of the goals of the Sawuf, right? Is to get that same Iman, but to not get anything new, but to increase the quality, level, strength of my Iman until I reach something called Yaqeen. The conviction which is found in arguments is not firm. Interestingly, the exact same thing Imam al-Ghazayr said, that that Iman that you have in Allah Taala, that is based on arguments is not firm. So many times people ask questions, we give you the answer. Because what you get on the answer, let me make it clear, is firmer than what you're at. So the person who is suffering from doubts and skepticisms, you give them an argument, you put them on firmer footing, and then you bring them to self, you put them on even firmer footing. So there's a need for ilm, there's a need for the ulama to answer the questions on free will and on all those things. There's a need for aqidah, there's a need for kalam, there's a need for that. Because that puts a person on more firm footing than they're already on. But to go on even firmer footing, a person needs to solve. A person needs to experience Allah SWT. Experience the meaning of those ayat in Quran, experience the meaning of the hadith of the sunnah. So this is what he's saying, this is to get something further. Know then this is why he quotes an ayah from the Quran, that know that it is only, only through the zikr of Allah SWT, and only is there in Arabic, he hasn't translated here. Allah bi zikri Allah is what we call kalimatul tanbih. It means be well aware. Bi zikri 
is what we call Habu Muqaddam, Yafidul Hasr. That's where you get the only, it's a grammatical construct. Be well aware and informed that only and only in the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do the spiritual hearts find peace and tr- tranquility. So what it means is that the highest level of itminan can only be gotten from zikrullah, that's Allah ta'ala saying this in Quran. So there's a level of itminan you get when you get the answer. Right, so you're confused about something, you ask somebody, you went to a Iqidah course, Kalam course, you got a certain level of itminan, right? But if you want the highest level of itminan, that only comes from the zikr of Allah SWT. So he says that this is the object of the way of the tariqah, the path of the sawaf, regarding belief. In terms of iman, what is the sawaf trying to do this? Bring a person to yakin. Regarding actions, a'mal, a'mal al-saleh. What is the purpose of the sawaf there? The purpose is to make their performance easy and spontaneous. And you don't find it difficult. If I say pray 20 rakats, you find it easy. If I say read one juz, you find it easy. If I say make dua for 10 minutes, you find it easy. If I say do a nafal fast, you find it easy. Spontaneous means, rather than spontaneous, the better English is self-willed. From your own initiative. That from your own initiative, you don't need a huge bayan to make you do a nafal fast. You don't need a huge bayan to convince you to do 10 minutes of this the far day. You have your own initiative, your own energy, your own power, your own internal battery is charged. To remove sluggishness, laziness, that we're lazy in our abadah. We're lazy in faraiz, with fajr and isha, or inside when we pray them, inside we're lazy about them. We're happy when we're done. Literally. This is the state of our prayer, that when we're done, when we pray the Isha and when we're done with it, we're so happy, we, we're relieved. And then we can sit down and comfortably surf for two hours. <laughs> right? When we pray Isha, we're so happy that we're done with it, now we can surf for two hours and sleep late and then miss Fajr. This is our state. This is our state. So to remove that and to subdue the nafs, it's also a big, big aim of the soul. Subdue the nafs, nafs, the amara, to subdue it, to put it in chains, to beat it into submission, to destroy it. The nafs, amara. You all always have nafs, but the nafs amara needs to be completely destroyed. Likewise, the purpose of so after outlining what the purpose of the sawaf is, and again it's ain deen, it's completely in deen, it's completely part of the hidayah of the Quran and Sunnah. It's a way to get that hidayah, a way to live that hidayah. Then Imam Ram makes it clear what's not the goal of the sawaf. Likewise, the purpose of the path of the sawaf is not to see forms and images of transcendental realities. Right, that I want to see the forms of the angels, or I want to have dreams of the prophets. Right? These things may happen to some people, no doubt. And if it happened to anyone, a person would feel tremendously blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, to see Sayyidina Rasulullah in a dream. But that's not the object. A person doesn't worship Allah for that. Remember the object was ubudiyyah. We worship because we're slave. What we would say in Urdu, begharas, means in English, without any, we don't, no expectation. No entitlement. No one deserve anything. We're not trying to earn anything. We are slave because that's what we are. Slave without pay. <laughs> slave without pay. That's what a slave is, right? Otherwise, it's an employee. Employee is called place. Allah Ta'ala selected a word in Arabic. You know what a slave was? A slave was a person who did things that the master told them to do without any remuneration, without compensation without any expectation, without any entitlement, without any reward. That's a separate thing that Allah SWT has promised us a reward in Jannah. Right? 
But our being a slave would mean that we would do it anyway. We would do it anyway. That's the level of yakin. That if Allah Ta'ala said, okay, I'm just saying, Allah Ta'ala would never ever say this. But if Allah Ta'ala said, okay, you know what, I've decided, forget Jannah. And you know, when you die, you just go, just forget it. When you die, you're going to just disintegrate into the earth. You'd still pray. That's what it means. You'd st- it wouldn't change one drop. You would still do everything. Even if the promise of eternal reward was for some reason taken back from you, you would still live your life according to the will and wish of pleasure, however long you have to live. Right? Okay. Or behold colors and lights. That's not the purpose of the sawaf. The I was doing zikr and I saw this color and I was doing zikr and I saw this light. Right? People say that. Now, they may be mentioning it because, okay, they saw it, but that shouldn't be the purpose. How do you know it's the purpose that you want to see it? No, I heard so-and-so saw this, some light. I want to see some light. Right? Why don't I see the light? What's wrong with the way I'm doing zikr? This has nothing to, there's nothing wrong with the way you're doing zikr. If zikr is not changing your life and bringing your life closer to Sharia, then you should say, what's wrong with my zikr? You shouldn't write in the email, what's wrong with my zikr? I don't feel the light. You should write, what's wrong with my zikr? I still can't get up for Fajr. And I'm training the people who are into Sawaf that the way you check the quality of your zikr is not inside the zikr. The quality and success of zikr is not going to be found inside the zikr, it's outside the zikr. In your life, out is your life outside the zikr, going closer to Quran, Sunnah, and Shriya, then you know your zikr is going wonderfully. It doesn't matter if you're not feeling anything or seeing anything, it's going beautifully. And if your life outside the zikr is still the same old life it was, you may be feeling something even. You may be honestly, genuinely feeling something. But it's not a good zikr. It's not benefiting it. Don't you remember Sayyidina Rasulullah made dua for ilm? That, oh Allah, I seek ilm from you, ilm nafi, ilm that benefits. I seek refuge in you from ilm that doesn't benefit. So just like that, just think zikr. Well, that's all I want zikr that benefits. I may have zikr. Like I may have ilm. Look, let's say I'm a person, I have ilm and I don't follow it. It doesn't mean I don't have the ilm. I have the ilm. I have the ilm of that, the seer of that ayah. But it's not benefiting me. So just like that, just like I know the meaning of the ilm, you may experience the feeling of zikr. But if it doesn't benefit you, it's not, it's not, it's not zikr or nothing. If benefit means it doesn't bring you closer to shariah. So just like that, the alim who doesn't do amal, no matter how much he may understand brilliantly the meanings, those meanings aren't any benefit to him. Just like that, the Sufi who doesn't do amal and shariah, they make it feelings in zikr. It's a mistake to think that, no, if I was wrong, I wouldn't get a feeling. You will get the feeling. Just like the alim who does sin still gets the meaning. He gets the meaning of the Qur'an. What makes you think he doesn't get the meaning? But getting the meaning, you should, should you think that, okay, if I was really sinning, Allah Ta'ala would take my ilm away. Allah Ta'ala doesn't work like that. You keep your ilm. You will still feel the ilm, but you have to fix your sins. Getting ilm is not a proof that you, 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 you somehow are doing sin. Alright? Here, so... So this is not the purpose, not to see forms, images, colors, and lights. They are nothing more than a play or fun. This is what Imam al is talking There were Sufis at his time and still today who are interested in stuff. Material forms and physical lights are not less interesting if one wants to have fun. What is he saying? He's saying, if you want to see light, go to the laser light show. That's what he's saying. Go to laser light show. What do you need to do zikr to see lights for? Walk around Christmas time and see the Christmas lights. That's what, you, that's what he's saying. Material forms and physical lights are not less interesting if that's what if one wants to have fun. That's what he's saying. Why should one leave them and run after spiritual forms of lights and take up austere and difficult practices for that purpose that I want to do zikr because I want to experience something? 
You'll experience them going on a roller coaster ride. Yes, I didn't feel anything in my heart. Do you want to feel something in your heart? Here's a ticket, go. <laughs> if that's what you want, that's the easier way to do it. Why should you try to do hours and hours of zikr? I can get you that feeling in a time in a roller coaster ride. I didn't feel harka, tahara, harara, taharduk. These are words, they're there. It's, it's in Quran. It's Quran. That when Allah Ta'ala's zikr is done, their hearts tremble. But you don't do zikr because you want your heart to tremble. You do zikr out of obedience and servitude to Allah Ta'ala. If you just want your heart trembling, we'll put you on a roller coaster. Alright. Now you understand what he's saying, right? I'm giving it, translating it in your term. Laser lights and roller coaster. Now you understand, right? Their laser light roller coaster was dancing, hashish, kawali, going to tombs and shrines, right? That was their equivalent. That was their equivalent at that time. And it's still some places today. Forms, these or others, and lights, physical or spiritual, are all created by Allah. But he's trying to say it's all makhluk. The soul is about turning away from makhluk and focusing on khalik. And you're just saying in lights and colors and visions and forms, but that's makhluk. The soul is about turning away from ghairullah towards Allah. And you're interested in experiences life, that's also ghairullah. So that can't be the soul. You've just traded one ghairullah for a different ghairullah. The forms and lights of this world for the forms and lights of spiritual experience. So he transcends them altogether. Allah Ta'ala is above and beyond all of these things. They are nothing but his signs and proofs. All of these things in the world, all of creation is but a sign of Allah Ta'ala. Then he says, as you will find some quote-unquote modernist Muslims who like to suggest to you that people of the soul of music is okay in Sufism. That's how they put it. Their music is okay in Sufism. If you're a true Sufi, you'll be fine in music. And unfortunately we have now, you know, some, uh, and I speak very openly all the time, some people who call themselves quote-unquote traditionalists, quote-unquote traditionalist Sufis. And they also believe that you can use music and zikr. And they do it in a very sophisticated way, in a very background type of way, and, right? And they, they're nasheed artists and performances and concerts and I don't know what. So listen to what Imam Rabbanath is saying. What should I say about hearing songs, or performing dances, or entering into a trance, or inducing an ecstasy? All the states and experiences which are produced by unlawful means are in my view a kind of temptation with which Allah Ta'ala tests men. He's testing you. Just like, no, the nasheed will hit the person's heart more if I have the drumbeat in the background. And we don't want his heart to be hit by that. Why should his heart need that? That's a prop. That's artificial stimuli. That's artificial stimuli. You shouldn't need that. Do you think, what do you think is weak? Is the kalb of the mu'min so weak that it needs drums in order to feel love for Allah No. You've underestimated the kalb of the mu'min. Or have you underestimated the zikr of Allah That the zikr of Allah is so weak that it cannot affect a person's heart unless you add the drumbeat? Allah Akbar. Underestimate it? Because you don't understand. So he says it's not people whom Allah Ta'ala gives latitude in this way. What this means? doesn't mean ruksa. It means that Allah Ta'ala lets them slide into that sin. Allah Ta'ala lets them slide into that sin. They undergo these states, they experience reunion, they have revelations and visions in terms of the forms of this world. So they claim that they saw this and they saw that and they saw something in the future. So he says, with the mystics of Greece and the Brahmin saints of India, the Hindus, had all these experiences. You can feel in their books, they do all these type of things as well. 
So he says that the sign of the validity of an experience is first, that it agrees with the doctrines of the Sharia, and second, that in order to have that experience, one does not commit anything which is forbidden by the Sharia, and one does not commit anything which is doubtful in Sharia either. So even if you think, yeah, maybe music may be okay, it's doubtful. It doesn't matter. We still won't use it. The Prophet used from simple percussion without any melody or harmony in jihad and in Valima. So I always offer that if any of the traditional Sufis go on jihad, I will come personally and play the drum. Personally. They just give me a little bit of advance notice. If I'm able to arrange it, I will come personally and play the drum in the Sunnah way, which is just a simple beat. That's it. No melody, no harmony. As far as Valima, I don't offer my services for that. Right? Uh-huh. And that was also done for another reason. That was done to call attention to that gathering. Right? To call attention to that gathering. So everybody knew. Because many times the Nikah was in the Masjid. And certainly there were witnesses and the people in the Masjid knew. But the Valima was the more broader broadcasting of the fact that that marriage took place in the community. And to make it even more broadcast, the drum was beat. So everybody knew. I don't think that's required anymore. In fact, I think there's too much broadcasting as it is uh, of our marriage functions and events, as it is. Okay? So what does he end? Know that this is one liner for you. This is the great Waliullah in one line making clear the stance of Sufism on music. Know that music and dance are but frivolous games. It's a game. It's a toy. It's a plaything. Why? Because it's Ghairullah. In fact, the best way to understand music in Islam is through the soul. Remember I said that the ulama can give you meanings that will bring you to a firm footing so you can look at the hadith on music, it will bring you to a certain level. But then when you realize also that this thing is ghair Allah, other than Allah, why am I so attached to it, so addicted to it, I can't leave it, I'm insistent on it, I'm stubborn, I keep asking a hundred ulama so one will tell me maybe it's okay. Why am I so attached to it? I'm addicted to ghair all right. Next, the object of man's creation. All right. So this is going to be about fana and baka. Let me skip this one for a moment. I'll come back to it. Let me just do the next one because it's related. It's the same topic, and I'll come back to this in a moment. So go to page one seventy-seven. What should I say of the frivolous ideas of the Sufis? Now, what, what does he mean? He means he's not talking about all the people. This obviously himself is a sheikh of soul. He means those people, he's calling them, he's using the term in a negative sense now. Those who felt that Wilayat was something greater than Ubudiya, right? Those who were engaged in these music and dance, those who want to see the colors and lights. What should I say of the fruit and believe in Mahdud Wajud, etc.? What should I say of their fruitless ideas? What should I speak of their experiences? In the Akhirah, their experiences and findings shall not be worth even half a penny unless they are weighed in the balance of the Sharia. And their revelations and inspirations, their kashf and ilham, will be not worth half a grain unless they are tested on the criteria of the Quran and Sunnah. Yes, there will be those that pass that test. That is a worthwhile thing. But the ones that don't pass that test are completely worthless. The purpose of pursuing the path of the Sawf is, and we've done this before, to strengthen the Iman and the objects of faith, as stated by the Sharia, which is what Iman really means as well as to acquire the ability to perform with ease the duties of the Sharia as described in Fiqh that we already did. There's no purpose beyond them. There's no purpose beyond them. No purpose beyond what? No purpose beyond the practices of the Sawaf. There's no other reason that a person does zikr 
other than to make themselves follow the Sharia and Sunnah better. There is no other reason that a person will do zikr other than to make themselves follow the Sharia and Sunnah better. As far as the vision of Allah SWT, the vision of Allah SWT, Ru'yatullah, in Persian or Urdu Didar, the vision of Allah SWT's promise in the Akhirah cannot be had in this life. And the revelations and visions in which the Sufis revel give them nothing but the pleasure of a shadow. But it means that sometimes if they do experience a vision, it's a shadow. It's not Allah SWT. It can't happen in this world. It may be one of his anwarat, fiyuzat, jaliyat, these words that are coming a little bit. It may be a manifestation of the mercy of Allah SWT. Maybe a manifestation of the blessing of Allah SWT. It is not possible to see Allah SWT in this world. So if a person really wants to have the experience, they should follow that life on earth that will enable them to see Allah Ta'ala in the Akhirah, they have to follow Sharia and Sunnah. That is the best way to get the best vision, which is the vision of Allah SWT. Allah Ta'ala transcends them absolutely. Allah Ta'ala transcends all the revelations and visions of the Sufis absolutely. So says, I'm in an impasse here. If I tell the truth about visions and revelations as it is, I fear that it may discourage the travelers of this path. And affect your person. Otherwise, if he tells them, he's saying, if I tell people that all of these things that you experienced, so you said I did zikr and I felt this, that feeling is nothing, then a person, there are people who in initial stage, they do do zikr for those feelings, right? If I tell the child that the candy you enjoy because of the sugar, but it's actually no benefit to you at all, you need actual rizal, you need actual food, right? It may affect their ability. But if on the other hand, so next page, but if on the other hand I do not tell the truth, I fear that I shall be guilty of selling the untruth as truth in spite of knowing the truth. So clearly you can tell he made the decision to tell it. That's why he wrote about it, right? He made it clear. Know that music and dance are frivolous games and all of that. He decided to tell people. And wean them off from that false disorder they were in. And you know, you have it still today. Still today I meet people, we're in Pakistan, England also. And they think they're Sufi. And by that, what does it mean? Because they have certain experiences. And I even recently heard about one of these traditional Sufi sheikhs actually criticizing all ulama of India and Pakistan. This is what, I, mean, I won't take his name, but his words all, he used the word all of them, that they don't understand the Sawafai because they don't have all these experiences in their state. This is marker for assessing. That they don't understand those, they don't have those experiences and they don't understand Ibn Arabi. Right? And, and because they don't understand him, that's why they think, well, the Wadud is wrong. Now let me make a slight comment on Ibn Arabi, although it's coming later, since I brought this up twice now. Because we're doing a whole complete letter, inshallah, on Ibn Arabi later on. It's in the packet. Ibn Arabi has written many works, and many of his words and phrases in those works are quite ambiguous. And they're what we call in Arabic, muhtamal ma'ani, they're open to multiple meanings. And different interpreters have taken different meanings from them. Now there are two things. One is what we call husnizan. Husnizan means that you should be optimistic. You should always think the best of the person. And when you keep that in light, then almost everything that he wrote, you can interpret in such a way that Wahdudu Wujud didn't mean that he thought that everything was equal to Allah or everything was the same as Allah. He actually thought that Allah is Allah and creation is creation. But he was talking about something else. About a unity in a grand scheme of things. In simply the sense that you're the... What is the thing that links every single one of us that we're Allah's creation, right? That's what connects me to wood. There's nothing that links me to wood other than the fact that wood is the creation of Allah and I'm also the creation of Allah. So and there's a unity within all the creation 
because they're created by Allah SWT, but there's no unity between creation and creator. Some have tried to interpret him like that. Right? So that is what we call trying to give him a very fair reading benefit of the doubt. But the second way is also, and you have to kind of do both simultaneously, it's very tricky to balance the two, to do what I call an honest reading. But if he's saying something, and he keeps repeating it, and he even gives examples and similes to illustrate it, it's kind of difficult, I mean, unless you're dishonest, if you become so fair, and do so much husnizan to the point of being dishonest, right, that can also be problematic. So we're going to see later on then how Imam al-Banatli tackles this issue. Uh, and you know, really the Chishti Mashai, I would say even the quote-unquote Deobandi Chishti Mashai, right, uh, have, they actually have a favorable view of Ibn Arabi. And I know one very big alim and mufti and sheikh of Chishti Sosa in Chicago, he actually teaches uh, the books of Ibn Arabi to his students, right? But the way he teaches them, he teaches them in the way that it takes that very, like I told you, very fair reading of Ibn Arabi. He doesn't teach the doctrine of what the wujud as others have presented it. But in Imam Rabbani Sheikh Amr Hindi's time, what people had understood from Ibn Arabi, so we'll never know, right? Only Allah knows best what Ibn Arabi himself intended by those writings, right? But what people understood at the time of Imam Rabbani was definitely concepts, such as unity of being, as in the creation is united with the creator. Alright, and that's why he talks about it in such a way. Alright. So he did this one now to go back. So go back to page 176. Okay, the object of the human being's creation is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and obey. Ibadah and ita'a. Ibadah and ita'a. Worship and obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the whole purpose of life. The object of worship and obedience. What's the purpose of that then? Why worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Why obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? It's also a question people ask. Why do we need to worship Allah? Right? It's to achieve conviction. This is another fasting. You see, the answer to soul of Kiyos is much more intense. Sometimes you will get a university and will ask you that, okay, I understand that God doesn't need our worship. We need our worship. But why? Why do we need to do about it? What do we need it for? And you can try to explain to them that because you need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you need to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Etc., etc. You need to be a mu'min. You need to submit. And they may understand that puts them a bit firm footing. Even more firm footing is this, that when you do the ibadah, you get yaqeen, you reach the end, you get that wilayat, you get that abdiyat, you get that detailed understanding. You get to know Allah SWT as He has revealed Himself to be. You get to know Allah SWT as He wishes Himself to be known. You feel Subhana Rabbil Azim, you feel Al Azim and Ruku differently than you feel Subhana Rabbil Allah, Al Allah and Sajda. You get to feel that. You'll never get to feel the difference between Al Azim and Al-Allah, if you don't do Ibadah, the more and more Ibadah you do, you will feel those feelings. That's why you do Ibadah. And then he quotes an ayah of Quran, Wa'abudullah hatta, hatta antaqya al-yakeen. That you should worship Allah SWT until you get yakin. Now some of the scholars of tafsir, they felt yakin here meant death. That they meant that you should worship Allah SWT your whole life until you die. Until that certain inevitable outcome, which is called death, overtakes you. And other commentators took it the way Imam Rabbani is taking it here. And both meanings can coexist simultaneously. That yakin also meant that you have to keep doing ibadah to get yakin in Allah SWT. And this is very important because today we are been duped into thinking that faith is going to be acquired through reason. And Quran is saying that faith is going to be acquired through worship. And yakin, that level of certainty in faith. So that's why you need ibadah. Because you need yakin. 
because you would want to, every, every human being should feel that I need to feel all the feelings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I need to understand in detail all of his names and attributes so for Hatta introduces a purpose as it introduces an end uh, this is the principle of Arabic grammar that Hatta comes from Ghaya and Ghadas the verse may therefore be taken to mean worship and obey Allah subhanahu in order to get yaqeen in other words the imam that one has before ibadah and obedience is a formal one rather than a real imam that a person has after ibadah and obedience which means yaqeen so you can look at this in terms of lukewarm faith and passionate faith. And you will find this when you meet a non-practicing Muslim. I mean that's a term that I mean that term should never have existed, right? But that term exists. And it's not a short, it's a majority. The majority of Muslims in the world are non-practicing. If I was to choose, if I was to choose to de- describe practicing just by one thing, that they pray five times regularly and consistently. If that was the definition of practicing, I can tell you the majority of Muslims in the world are non-practicing. And, and Allah Ta'ala, just like He hides our individual sins, He hides the sins of the Summa. The non-Muslims don't know that. <laughs> you know that? They actually think that every Muslim prays five times a day. They don't know. Otherwise, they would write it in their books. Many times they give you this example. And every book written on Islam in English, they always talk about the five pillars. They always talk about the pillar of Salah. And they always mention the five prayers. If they had any idea that the majority of Muslims, they would definitely write it because it would be a great way to attack Islam. That one of the pillars of Islam is to pray five times a day, but 80% of Muslims don't even do this. They would love to write that. But Allah Ta'ala is sattah. <laughs> he is kept from them. Maybe literally some of them even know it, but it's just, it doesn't occur to them. Put it that way. For some, their perception is hidden, and for others, the awareness of that perception is hidden. The vast majority of the Ummah is non-practicing today. I can tell you when I taught at a university in Pakistan for six years, the estimates of the students, where are our students? It's hidden. They're hiding behind two blackboards. <laughs> they still, I, can't, I can see you, but they can't see you. In between two blackboards, Allah Akbar. What percent of the students do you think pray five times a day regularly consistently? This against the entire student body. Hmm? 15. 15. 15%. Yeah, my own estimate is 20 to 25%. Right? No way more than 25% of university students in Pakistan pray five times. That's the situation. Right? And Pakistan is one of the more practicing Muslim countries, and I don't say that out of national pride. Uh, as far as larger ones, the smaller ones, obviously Somalia, Sudan, Saudi Arabia, much smaller populations. As far as the mass countries with really massive Muslim populations, the level of practice here is generally considered to be more. Right? Uh, and this is the university students, I'm not necessarily saying that. But really in the rural areas, uh, according to the, our, our brothers who go into Baliki Jamaat, in the rural areas of Pakistan, which is the bulk of the population, it's even less. It's even less. It's even less. Right? So they, they're not kufar. This is what we're trying to say here. So they have iman. They're not unbelievers. They have iman. But the iman is very lukewarm. But that person who does ibadah, who does worship, who does itah, who obeys Allah Santa, they have glowing iman. They have passion iman. They have the nur of iman. And when they have the nur of iman, then they become manoured by that nur. That's the real life to get. 
The real light that we want to be illuminated by is the nur of the very iman that we have in our own heart. Is the nur of the iman that we have in our own heart. Alright. This is why Allah Swt says, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu aminu. This is a whole separate topic. We've given a whole separate talk on this. Uh, Allah Ta'ala says, literally it means that, oh you have iman, have iman. Aminu billahi wa rasuli. Have iman in Allah Swt. Does it mean that, oh you have adopted Iman on your tongue, or Iman Muslim in name, become Muslim in heart. Have the passion of Iman. Have the feelings of Iman. That is to say, in, back to Imam Nabarak, oh, you have a formal belief, try to have the real belief by worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as that Allah who you believe in has ordered you to do as his believer. Right? Live like the Mu'mineen, live like the Alladina Amanu. Follow all the commandments that Allah has addressed to Allah Dina Amanu and Mu'mini. The object of fana and baka, which are the essence of wilayah. This is coming later. Let me do this for you. Maybe I'll do it for you now. I'm going to do this later. And uh, said you'll have to uh, maybe take a picture and send a picture message to your missus of the board I'm about to draw. And she can replicate it downstairs. Right? The object of fana and baka, the two more terms, I'm going to explain what this is to you, fana and baka, which are the essence of wilayat, is to acquire, what does that mean? Why is it the essence of wilayat? Is to acquire this conviction and nothing else. So now he generally said, right, that the purpose of the soul is to get this yakin. Now he's opening up in detail the different elements and features of the soul, fana, baka, and wilayat. And he's saying that even these particular things, even their only purpose is to get yakin. So what they are, I'm going to explain to you by making a diagram on the board in the moment. If one understands fana filla and baka billa, this is what is going on in Arabic, fana filla, fana in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and baka billa in any other sense, such as which suggests the fusion, union, joining of humanity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is a blasphemous distortion of iman. Many things come from the mouth of a Sufi in the state of intoxication, which it is his duty to eventually overcome, turn to Allah and ask for forgiveness. Ibrahim ibn Shaban, one of the great Sufis mentioned in his tabqat, mentioned in the tabqat, says the real fana and baka consist in sincerely believing in the unity of Allah and honestly living as his servant and slave. Anything of over and above it is sheer error and infidelity. By Allah, what he says is true. His words witness to his rectitude that he was of the Salihin and his taqwa. Fana in Allah means effacing oneself and carrying out the will of Allah. You may understand sayr illallah or meditation leading to God and sayr fillah or meditation on God on the same lines. Alright, so I have to explain all this right now using a chart. You, and I'm not going to use these English translations that he's using to change the translations. So you have fana, bika, baka, sayr illallah, sayr fillah. What did all of this stuff mean? Hey, why did the chart, the thing that was easy to understand, was the statement of Ibrahim al Shaybaan that real fana means to lose yourself in the fact that Allah Ta'ala is one. Not that you are one with Allah, not that you are one, but that Allah is one, alone, singular, unique, perfect, incomparable, that is fana. And the real baka is to live yourself as his servant and slave, to realize that you are dependent on him. That he is the means of your subsistence. 
He is keeping you bulky. He is maintaining you, subsisting you. You are entirely needy and dependent on him. You have no independent existence whatsoever. And this was the real relationship of the link between the human being and Allah subhanahu Not that we are one with Allah, but that Allah is one. And we are wholly and completely dependent and needy on that one. And our existence is only based on his giving us subsistence. You understand subsistence? He's perpetuating, maintaining our existence. And even though a human being will live for eternity also, this is the wish of Allah Sultan, that He has chosen to make human beings have eternal life in the Akhirah, that you will live forever. And for every single microsecond of that forever, you will still be, and I will still be, we will all be needy and dependent on Allah. Even, even we have eternal baka, even though we will eternally subsist, we are eternally, infinitely dependent on Allah SWT every second of that eternity. Alright? Okay. So now I'm going to make a chart for you, which explains about fana and baka. And I'll make it easier then, because then, when, then we can maybe go a bit faster. So what I'm going to do at in the next 20 minutes or so, before we break for Dhuhr, and I'm going to explain to you a few difficult theoretical concepts. And then when we resume, inshallah, then we can go much, much faster in the text because then I would have covered a lot of the concepts with you. There are two ways to draw this. The second way is more precise. Okay? The first way is easier. So I'm going to do both ways. The first way is going to illustrate to you basic understanding. The second way is going to give you more precise understanding. First way we draw it is like a circle. In that circle there, I won't use the numbers here. Let me draw it without the numbers. Not the precise amount of the numbers. There are going to be four stages, but I'm going to show you a more simple way first. This is the beginning and this is the end, right? Now we're talking about, remember we talked about the solo talking about a person being disconnected from their love for the world and instead having love for Allah Sultan, becoming disconnected from following their own will, wish, desires of their nafs and instead following the wishes and pleasures of Allah Sultan, right? So basically let's take the extremes. So what is the first extreme? The first extreme is one person could be 100% connected to Allah and 0% connected to Allah. That's the first extreme. That person is 100% their heart, mind, soul, body, personality, everything. It's 100% attached to their love. And they have 0% attachment to Allah SWT. Right? That would be an extreme situation. Now, not, this is not necessarily kufr. You can have a Muslim like this. They may have Imam, but their heart is totally attached entirely to their love. 100%. Got it? Okay. Then they're going to make a journey. That journey is going to bring them, so on this, on this circle it's going to look like there are three stages, but on the detailed one we need to the four stages. They're going to try to flip it. They're going to try to flip it. Making this hundred, into, and I'm going to explain Fanam Bakatu in several different ways, right? First way. Making this hundred, so what was the first line is your engagement with Dero and engagement to the world. Making this hundred into zero, that is called Fanam. Making this hundred into zero, so reaching a state. This is not a permanent station, this is a state. This is a hub. 
reaching a state of being in a way of existing in which you have zero percent attraction, interest, love for knobs, material world, etc., etc., etc. And on top of that, not just making this hundred to zero, but also making this zero into a hundred. Both things, when you get them, that's called fana. That's called fana fila in Arabic. Fana literally means to become fani, means to erase yourself, to become completely absorbed in something, to become completely ensconced in something, that you become oblivious to everything else, that you become oblivious to every other thing. Then, what happens is you make what they call the return. You return to this world, and you end up like this. So, the return is also called Baka, although I'm going to slightly do this differently for you next. But Baka, one sense of Baka, one sense of Baka, means that your 100% connection to Allah Taala remains. Remains. Stays at 100. Even though you then gradually begin your return to engaging in the world. But, but, there's a big difference between these two hundreds. They both represent 100% engagement of the world. But this is 100% engagement, which is coupled with 100% ghaflat. That is a 0% remembrance of Allah. Heedless, mindless engagement with the world unstructured and ungoverned by Sharia and Sunnah and Quran engagement with the world. This hundred means you are engaged in the world. What does it mean by engaged in the world? You are functioning in society because there is no monasticism in Islam. The end is here. The end is not here. This would be a monk. You have to become monk-like. You have to be able to do that. That's what you are trying to do every day. Five times a day you are supposed to be a monk. Did you know that? You cannot live the life of a monk but when you are in Salah this is what you are supposed to be. You're supposed to be doing this five times a day. You're supposed to completely become completely unaware of everything other than Allah SWT and simultaneously be completely and exclusively aware of only Him. Right? So the path of life is training a person to get that ability. But it doesn't keep them there. Keeping them there means going to a monastery. That's prohibited Islam. But training them so they have that ability to enter there, that's required of Islam. Well, okay, I want to say it's not far, but that's part of Islam, that's part of being. That's the Quranic term Tabakkul. This is Tabakkul. Alright? However, this hundred is not coupled with zero, but because it's coupled with hundred, this is an engagement of the world that is coexists with vigor. It's structured. It's only engaging with the world with what is permissible in the world. Which went on the hasanat, the Rabbanat, the dunya hasanat. In the hasanat, the noble, virtuous, pure things of the world. To be a functioning member of society. To be a functioning member of your family. To be an earning member of society. To be a contributing member of society. To be a guide for humanity. A guide for the ummah. That's the disengagement in the world. This is a khidmat type engagement. This was a ghaflat type engagement. And this engagement is completely, 100% engaged in the world, but not everything in the world. Only those things in the world that can keep you see, The second you engage, you can't let this hundred go down. This is the training of the soul. Once you get it, you don't want to lose it. So you have to re-engage in the world, but you're only going to re-engage in those things that don't touch this hundred. 
obviously that person, because they want to remain on that stage, they're not going to get involved in any sin or even things that are disliked. In fact, one shaykh in Pakistan used to say, and I'll translate it in Urdu afterwards, because half of you in Urdu. Oh, I translate it in English afterwards. <laughs> right? Taqwa, Muharramat, Makruhat, or Fuzul Mubahat Chornikanam. The Taqwa means to leave things that are prohibited, leave things, leave things that are disliked, and leave things that are permissible but useless. Leave things that are permissible but useless, leave him that. That's what taqwa is. That was his definition. Taqwa muharramat, makruhat, or fuzul mubahat chornikanam. Taqwa means to leave those things that are prohibited, those things that are disliked, and even those things that are permissible, they the useless of the permissible. But that would be benefit. And that's a big problem a lot of us have is we have so many useless things that we do, that's why you're not free for zikr, you're not free for deed. One problem is the sins that we do, and the second problem is the stupid things that we do. The pointless things that we do, the useless things that we do, our idle time, wasteful time, idle pastimes, what Allah Ta'ala calls Allah, your wasteful, idle pursuits and gains, your trivial and wasteful, idle pursuits and gains. Now the ruling from that verse of Fuqahab and is haram, but they're it, you know, it's like people in the dunya, people in this material world, they call it opportunity cost. The time you're missing out, you could have maximized more profit. What were you doing? Why did you give them more than a 30 minute lunch break to the factory workers? You could have generated so much more output. That's how they think. So just time they're trying to maximize their dunya, Muslims are supposed to be maximizing their awesome. They don't have any more time. This whole world is a factory of Ahmad al and we're the factory workers, and we're on shift. <laughs> we're on duty. <laughs> and just like the factory worker doesn't feel they have any time to slack, mean you're not supposed to have time to slack. That's the word. That's the word. Slack. Now you slacker. Absolutely. Right. Unless I'm getting told that even you don't use that term anymore. You say that in England, slacking. All right. So taqwa means to leave. That's what it means. Taqwa means to stop doing what is haram. Stop doing what's disliking, just stop slacking. Yeah, so do Mabahat, Paterna, stop slacking. That's part of the problem. Imagine that person who thinks like that, what type of human being that must have been, who had that attitude towards life. That's called the Baliyuga. That's called the Baliyuga. Alright? So you got this, right? So they come back, this is a return. Now the process, the process to get this, this process, Generally, this is what is called Wilayat. This is the way of Wilayat, to attain Fana. And Baka also means to stay there for some time. Baka also means to stay there for some time. You don't just touch it and come out. You reach it, you stay there for some time when it's so deeply now embedded into you. That's the second meaning of Baka, that you stay there for long enough that this hunger becomes such a permanent, inseparable part of you, and then you must return and re-engage with the world. Alright? You can think of this stage, the sunnah equivalent of this stage, is what Sayyidina Rasulullah was doing in the cave in Mount Hera. He was entering into a state of fana. And then when the wood came upon him, he came to this stage. 
And that's why the person who's on the stage, they have to do the work of the prophets, the mission of Nabuat, guiding humanity, teaching deen, guiding people towards Sharia. This is the work they have to do. That's what it means, al-ulama who warat that the ulama are the heirs of the prophets. The ulama who have this, the ulama who have this, then they have to do the work of the prophets. Alright? Okay. Second chart, which is a bit more detailed. Dr. Asad, you're transmitting this? I'm going to find out make sure. You can also just draw us on one piece of paper and build it for a while so we can share one with us. Second term. So, Fanan Bakan, now you understand, right? These two terms. There were some other terms there Sayer, Hillah, Sayer, Anillah, Sayer, Fanashiran. These are some other terms that he uses. These are particular terms that have been used in the Persian tradition of the Sawaf. Okay? Banan Bakar Arabic terms, but now I'm going to make a slightly different chart for you. Different meaning geometrically, right? Different geometrically. You see here, I've made uh, four lines. On the board, right? This is line number one. This is line number two. This is line number three. And this is line number four. You should take a picture of this. Right. One, two, three, four. Alright? This is one journey. So there are four journeys. There are four journeys. Right? So I told you the word saluk is a journey. I mean, first I draw through the circle, right? The journey from being disconnected to Allah, to being connected to Allah, making that journey all the way full circle is that you're 100% connected to Allah and connected to the world. 100% you're functioning in the world, but in the name of Allah, in the nisbat of Allah, for the sake of Allah, lillah fillah. Right? That was the journey. Now that same journey, which I drew as a circle, now we're going to break that same journey, same journey, same journey I drew as a circle. Same journey we're building up into four sub-journeys. This is the first leg of the journey, right? With that, the second leg of the journey, third leg of the journey, fourth leg of the journey. So, both in Arabic and Persian, the word for this, the word for journey is sayr, one of the words, sayr, and so the plural is suyud, suyud, four journeys. Suyud journeys, arba'a, four, so this is called suyud arba'a. Suyud arba'a, the four journeys that a person makes from me, right, of that circular journey that I mentioned to you as one circle. Okay. The first thing, okay, the first one, uh, I call it, what, can I write it in Arabic or is it a Still, I'll write it in books. Sayer il Allah. You can call it Sayer il Allah. Il means to toward. So remember, this is the person who is zero. Right? In terms of the connection to Allah subhanahu wa So now we want to make a journey towards being connected towards Allah subhanahu wa They want to have more awareness of Allah. They want to be more mindful of Allah. They want to have more fear of Allah. They want to have more love for Allah. They want to have more closeness to Allah. All of these words in Quran, right? Taqwa, Khashiyya, Qurb, Muhammad. These are Quranic feelings. 
Quran is describing the feelings that a person is supposed to have for Allah subhanahu So they want to have that sympathy called Sayyid illallah, that they're making a journey to Allah subhanahu Now how are they going to make that journey? So they make that journey in the sense, remember that hundred that I told you, right? So they're trying to get that hundred down. So the first part of the journey is they're trying to bring this hundred down to zero. So that involves at one level, the way I explained it earlier, was to lose their attraction, right, and attachment to Herod. And this chart is now looking at at a more deeper level, they're trying to lose their awareness and perception. Awareness, perception, you can even call it knowledge. They're trying to unknow. You know sometimes in learning we have this thing in the positive, they say that you should unlearn and then learn and then relearn what you unlearn. Exactly, exactly, I can't believe it. They're talking to see you out of our unlearn, unlearn, take that hundred down to zero, learn, and then relearn back that world. Gee, this is unlearn. This is really much exact. Imam al-Bani says this exactly, he says this, that they must lose the knowledge of all that is, he uses a fancy term in Kalam called Munkin al-Wajud as opposed to Wajibul Wajud, that they must lose the ilm of the Munkin al-Wajud and only get ilm, retain the ilm of the Wajibul Wajud. Simply means that they should lose their knowledge, learning and awareness of all that is Hayrullah. So they're trying to bring that hundred. Remember, you, you, you should have both charts in front of you. Remember on the top, awareness of the rule is to zero, right? So there has to be a process that's going to enable them to do that. So that's first leg of the journey. That they're trying to make themselves unaware. And you know a lot of the sinful feelings we have is because we're too aware of the world. If you were unaware, you wouldn't feel lust. That's why Allah SWT told us to lower the gaze because it protects us from being aware. When you lower the gaze, you're unaware. And then when you're unaware, you won't feel the feeling. But when you're aware, you're going to feel it. Just like if you touch something that's hot, you're going to feel hot. Right? But if you never touch it, you'll never feel hot. So this is, you know, another way you can, sometimes people use this in Hakim, it's called detox. This is like spiritual detoxification. Eh, something? Alright? Okay. So this is the first journey. Seir illallah. Then, the second one is called Seir Fillah. Now this, do not misunderstand, this is not literal in Arabic. This is something that we call in Arabic, Mulaq Mazuf. Right? Literally, it's saying journey in Allah. It doesn't mean journey in Allah's Allah. You cannot be inside Allah's Allah. It's all about knowledge and awareness. So what this means is journey inside the realm of the awareness of Allah's Awareness, knowledge, perception. Your perception of your awareness, knowledge, perception of Allah's Allah. What does this mean? So let's let me say I'm going to draw a little mini version if I can of that other one. It's just a mini version, right? This is a board within a board, right? So we had zero, hundred, and hundred. Actually, I'm doing it differently, right? I think I put, I put awareness of the world first, right? Awareness of the world. First number. So making this, taking this, just watch this pen, making this hundred into zero, making this hundred into zero. Okay, hundred to zero. First, 
first leg of the journey, Sayyar Ilallah. First aspect was to reduce your awareness of the world, your awareness of your knowledge and perception of the world from 100 to 0. Second was to increase the journey inside the realm. So what's the realm of the awareness of knowledge of Allah? That either you can be the one end of that, so there's a realm. What are the limits of the realm? Is I'm 0% aware of Allah, or I'm 100% aware of Allah. That's the limits of the realm, right? So if I'm journeying in that realm, it means, here to love, simply man, that I'm journeying inside this, this world now. Why do they call it Tibla? I'm just explaining to Arabic. Because you brought the dunya part down to zero. First you do that. So this is zero. So in some sense, right after after the first stage, you end up at zero, zero. So you started at 100, zero. After the first stage, you end up at zero, zero. And then this awareness, the awareness of the world, you close that. So there's only one realm left for you, which is the awareness of Allah SWT. There's only one realm left for you, so now you want to journey into that realm. Is it clear? You're not journeying in Allah SWT at all. You're journeying in the realm of the awareness. What does journey mean? Journey means going from zero to hundred. This, this one. Going from zero awareness to Allah to hundred percent awareness of Allah. That is called Sirtullah. To journey inside the realm of your knowledge and awareness and perception of Allah to take it from zero that you are on that extreme. Right? To take it from zero up to hundred. So then after, so first it started at hundred zero. After first leg of the journey there was zero zero. After second leg of the journey, what are they? Everybody? Everybody following or not? This is where they are. Okay, that was the second leg. Third leg of the journey. Okay. Third leg of the journey. This is a bit more difficult to understand. This is called Ser Anila. That to start departing from this means to journey from Allah Sultan. Journey from Allah. Again, not literally Allah, means journey from that position in which you are only aware of Allah. When you're only aware of Allah, you have no awareness of anything else. Right? To journey from that. But not to lose him, build up to keep that awareness with you. That's why the hundred states. That's why the hundred states. Ser anillah billah. To make the journey from that state in which you have Allah alone, to make the journey back, back to the awareness, knowledge, perception of the world. But to make it back with taking along the awareness, knowledge, perception that you acquired of Allah Sallallahu when you hit the level of Sana. To take it back with you. This part, right, uh, really, maybe the best way I would explain this, okay, so this equals Tamar. I should probably add another line here, actually. I should have added another line. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There should be another line. Let me go and do it. Yeah, if you mess up your drawing. Huh? 
None of them can't be in the comments. Although this isn't the basically it's you don't really need to draw one because it's not a journey. You can actually but it's okay look, this is the top of the mountain, right? Let's put it that. So there is some time where remember I told you you stay there. You stay there. You stay there. Remember I told you that you stay there? I was about to draw another line that you stay there. But that would make it look like there's a fifth journey. It's not a journey. It's not viewed as a journey. Now you're stationary. Put it that way. It's not a journey. You're stationary. You stay there. You stay there for some time till it becomes so deep in you that now your very existence is the meaning of Baka. You yourself, you've negated your own awareness of your existence to get to zero. And now as you stay there, indeed your very existence has become you're actually living embodiment of absolute need and dependence on Allah SWT. Your existence is only subsisting due to Allah SWT's will and wish. Which is the reality actually of all of us, we're not aware of it. We're not aware of it. It means you only breathe and exist because of His will, wish, and command. We don't, we don't feel like that. We don't think like that. This is where then people, you're trying, this is the reality that you're trying to capture with the actor and the creator and what's going on. The reality is that Allah SWT is the only truly existing thing. And we are all dependent on Him. By truly existing, we mean you truly exist. But He is the only what we call pantheonist non-contingent being. He is the only necessary being. But in Arabic they call Wajibu Wajib. And we are Munkinu Wajib. So this, is, this, this part is difficult to believe. For maybe you guys to grasp that the concepts are difficult. But here a person just stays in that. Just stays in that. This journey, number three, okay, actually at the end of this journey they still stay at zero, one hundred. But the difference between this hundred and this hundred is that when they stay there for a long period of time and then enter this bakah, where they're completely nothing and they only exist due to the command of Allah Subhanahu that you can't come back. You, you, you can't join the world with that. So you've got to bring that back down again. Bring that back down again. So actually this three is just bringing the higher level 100 back down to that level 100 which can be joined again with the world. This is the most difficult stage here. It's the most difficult one to explain to you. When you reach this 100 and you touch Phanam, then you stay in there. You stay in there, 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 stay in there. You got something called baka. You got another type of hundred. The same hundred, it went up in intensity. Okay? You got the hundred and then you stayed there so it went up in intensity. That super intense level was such that then you realize I'm completely nothing. And Allah is everything. That's what he says in the absolute part. Not that you and Allah are one. The complete opposite of that. That Allah is everything and comparatively I'm completely nothing. Nothing. Then you need to bring that Bakal hundred back down to the Fana hundred. Because that level you can never return to the world when you reach that level. That's the type of level that you'll live with inshallah and offer. That's like the level that awareness of what you would have in Jannah that I'm completely nothing. You can bring that back down. That's great. You bring that back down. And then four, that's understood that you end up, then you relearn, this is the relearn. 
Now you relearn, reconnect with the world and everything, right? Everything that's permissible in the world. You reconnect with your engagement. You reopen your horizons to perception and awareness of the world, including your own sound. So then you reoperate on that level and then, no, no, I exist, and you exist, everything exists, and we all exist, and this is the world. The world of Asbab, right? The world of Asbab. Kind of like when we do Tasir Surafata, Allah Ta'ala says, Iyak, teaches us to say, Iyak, and not the way Iyak, and that's saying, Iyak, and that's saying, we only ask you for help, and actually we ask another help all the time, right? You ask your parents for help, you ask your friend for help, you ask your sibling for help, you ask your teacher for help. Right? And Iyakanat Budo, maybe this is the best way to explain to you. Iyakanat Budo. Allah Allah, we worship you alone. We mean that. It's not like no, we worship you, but sometimes also we worship our friends and our teachers. No. In that case, it is an absolute. Worship Allah alone. That's like this. This is the Bukha type of money. And then, Iyya Binasna'in, we seek Allah's help alone. Yes, that's this type of honor. This type of honor which can be joined with Asbah, can be joined with the world, but we do seek help in the world as well. So, this type of honor can exist with the Asbah, like our Nasna'in relationship with Allah Salsa. This type of honor that comes in Baqa, there's another type of honor, right? And from Qanab to Baqa, you still get this. Maybe I'll draw this. I don't know if I have like, you know, like increase the font size and make it bold. You know, put it that way. All right. That's what happens over here. This one, this is this. This cannot coexist with us all. This can't coexist with us all. It's very important. I'm going to explain something to you. Very important to happen because some people get stuck over here. What did I say? It can't coexist with us all. And they get stuck over there. This is the Sufi who walks on water. Say something. Oh, no problem. Doesn't mean that somebody walks on water all the time, right? Not like that. But sometimes when they get stuck up there, but in reality they're still down here, they're still existing. So I'm here in some stasis that state, right? So sometimes Allah Ta'ala makes some type of karama happen with that, some type of miracle. Karama ta'uliya. In Fatawa ibn Taymiyyah, he has written about karama ta'uliya, haqqan the fear of truth. Ibn Qayyim al Jazia accepts karama ta'uliya. These are universally acknowledged realities that Allah Ta'ala has given some few awliya, some few miracles, and some few special, specific circumstances. One reason that sometimes or one reason that sometimes happens is because somebody got stuck on it. And meanwhile, they still needed to function. They're still, they're still alive, right? They were still alive. Okay? Oh. Right now, it's just a side thing. Don't, don't worry about that for now. So, this three is bringing this bold faced large font hundred down to the regular time place hundred. The one that can actually be rejoined in the world. And this one, Right, so there, this one is called, I mean, in fact, about here. This is a purely Persian name, it's called Seir Darashia. This is not even Arabic, it's purely Persian. The other is actually, technically we're Persian, but it's identical in Arabic. Okay? Seir Darashia. Okay, some people will also call it Seir Kilashia. Maybe I choose that because that keeps you in Arabic. Maybe we should just do that. Seir Kilashia. 
journey within the realm of things. Just like, remember journeying inside the realm of Allah, meant your awareness of Allah, Allah going from 0 to 100? Now this is Serafil Ashya. Actually, we should keep it in Arabic. That makes a basic good symmetry. Serafil Ashya. Now you journey inside, you make this 0 into 100. Journey into things. You become, you increase your awareness and perception and knowledge of things from 0 back to 100. So now you're completely aware, completely aware of the world, everything. Completely aware of it, but your awareness of it is now colored by your awareness of Allah's love. Alright? So we're going to break now, to pray the Lord, and then we'll have a lunch break. And then don't worry, when we do the letters, like I told you, these concepts are coming. They're all coming in letters, but now we can do it a bit faster, so the concepts will be reinforced also. Obviously, when we do the letters that talk about Tanan Bakan now, you'll keep seeing it in different ways and it'll get reinforced. The two diagrams gave you, I think, a good grounding with which we can now uh, proceed after the lunch break. Alright?